Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. I find this story of Joseph forgiving his brothers a remarkable story of faith and of a generous and magnanimous heart. If you do not recall the backstory, Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers. His 10 older brothers did not care for him because he was favored by their father. Plus, he had these dreams about how wonderful and magnificent his life was going to go, how great he was going to be. So they finally got tired of it, and they began to talk about what they could do. And one of them had the great idea, we could just murder him. And so they said, yes, we will murder him. Another brother said, maybe that's not our best idea. But we could still get rid of him. We could sell him to some of these traders or travel. We could sell him as a slave. But what would our parents think? Well, they decided they could fake it and kill a wild animal and spill the blood on Joseph's coat and take it back to the folks and tell them what had happened so they sold him into slavery and lied to their parents about it this story we have from genesis chapter 45 happens years later joseph's life's taken a number of turns but now he is risen to power and because of circumstances of his family and his brothers they have come back in front of him ask for help yet they have no idea that this is their brother joseph still alive in egypt this story of joseph begins a whole sermon series we'll be using for the next couple of months we'll be looking at different biblical characters and seeing if we cannot learn a little bit more about the bible and how people experience god and how we have Save that in the Bible for other generations. But not only will we be looking at these biblical characters to see what we can learn about them, what the Bible says about them, we'll also be trying to apply that to our own lives and see how their experience with God might help us with our experience of God with 
our life of faith. I'll also be introducing to you other people, contemporary examples of people who I find embody the same kind of characteristics as the biblical characters at which we'll be investigating. We start with Joseph. He comes in the line of patriarchs that the book of Genesis tells us about, patriarchs of the Hebrew people or the people of Israel. Remember, God calls a fellow named Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. He marries Sarah. God promises that they're going to be a people of blessing, that their descendants are going to be so many that you cannot even count them, but they're going to be a great nation that will be a blessing to all people and all nations. It moves from Abraham to his son Isaac, then on to his son Jacob. Joseph is the son of Jacob, 11th of 12 sons. Those 12 sons will end up being the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Genesis makes it clear that Jacob's favorite was Joseph. The first ten brothers had different, a different mother, but now Rachel's the mother. Her first child is Joseph. Jacob apparently loved Joseph more than the others, and they could tell. But then not that, but Joseph's own personality, maybe because he was so loved, or maybe this was just the way he was born, but he began to have these dreams of his life and how great it was going to be. And in one of the dreams, he saw that he was going to be a ruler of people, but not just people in general, but of all these older brothers and even his mother and father and how they were all going to bow down to him. Apparently, he was pretty pleased about that. The brothers, not so much. But this is the line of people of faith through which God established a covenant of blessing. And Joseph keeps that covenant alive. Genesis 37 reports that his brothers hated him. That his brothers hated him. What a disastrous situation in a family when siblings hate one another. But that's what it says happened in this family. They want to murder him. But finally they sell him into slavery. They think they are rid of him forever. And then famine strikes. Their father sends them to Egypt because they're in need of food for themselves and for their livestock. And so they travel down to Egypt and finally find their way in front of this person who's in charge of all the food stores of Egypt. And they have no idea it's their long-lost brother Joseph that he has risen to power and now he is in charge. And it's his opportunity, of course, to strike back. Now he has all the power. He can take revenge. He can repay them for what they have done to him. Can you imagine all those years of him stewing? And now now he has the opportunity to get back at them. He can kill them. He can throw them into prison. He can let them starve to death and not give them any food. But what does he do? Genesis chapter 45 verse 4 tells us what happened. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now you can expect something bad to happen, but instead the author of Genesis tells us that Joseph goes on in verse 5 to say to his brothers, and now do not be distressed. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph filters all of his experience where he's been hated by his brother, sold into slavery. We didn't read the whole story. He's put in prison, falsely accused, finally rises to power. And in the midst of all those twists and turns of his life, rather than dwelling on his past, he sees a much bigger picture. Rather than focusing on the terrible things that have happened to him, he sees God's hand at work in his life. He sees that God was at work in all of this. That's what he tells his brothers. He comes to this remarkable conclusion that the author of Genesis records in verse 8. He says, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who were trying to eliminate me and get rid of me and hate me. It's not that you did that, but God did that. God was at work in all those circumstances and God has sent me here. And he embraces these brothers, this family of his that wanted to be rid of him. It's a remarkable story of love and respect and forgiveness. I read a story recently about a guy who works to bring justice for the underserved. He works with indigents who have been charged with people he thinks the evidence shows have been wrongly convicted or did not have proper representation. He's a graduate of an Ivy League law school. He could have done big things and made lots of money, but instead he established what he calls the Equal Justice Initiative where he's gathered a group of people who are willing to serve the underserved to reach out to those from marginalized neighborhoods who do not understand the legal system and do not navigate it well and helps them experience justice that our legal system promises all of us. His name is Brian Stevenson. I've read about his work. I was very impressed with what he's done, but it was really a quote that somebody else said about him that really got my attention. Another person said that, Brian Stevenson has this belief that every person is more than the worst thing they've ever done. That every person is more than the worst thing they've ever done. I think Joseph must have shared that belief with Brian when he looked at his brothers. He must have thought God wants to do more with them. Because they had been terrible to him. And yet he shows mercy and generosity to them at every turn. Theologically, we could say that in God's economy, every person can be redeemed. Or we could say that God cares about every individual. Or we could say that God's love extends forgiveness to each and every one of us. The good news that's revealed in this story of Joseph is this major theological theme of the Bible that seeing God at work or even believing that God is at work changes our lives. It changes the way that we can understand our circumstances when everything's not going the way that we thought it should. 
It helps us find deeper meaning in the tragedies as well as the celebrations of our lives. It nurtures our relationship with God so that we can have a deeper, more meaningful, more intimate relationship with God. But not only that, as our relationship with God deepens, it moves us to look for good, to look for how God might be at work in the world, even in the most difficult circumstances. Let me give you another example of a person that I think embodies that very characteristic. This person has the kind of character of looking for how good can be discovered in the most difficult circumstances. His name is Dr. Vikram Patel. He is a doctor of psychiatry. He leads a center for mental health in London. He's a Rhodes Scholar and a professor. But rather than just spending his time researching and writing and teaching, he also travels the globe working on issues of mental health. He says it's been his observation that in our resource-poor countries, as he calls them, in the underdeveloped world, that scarcely can many places provide physical medical care, let alone provide any mental health services. And yet he says in some of those places, because of the wars, the civil wars, sometimes the genocide that has gone on, there's so much trauma, there's so much need for mental health care services, and there are none. So he spends his time talking with doctors and hospitals and government officials and trying to organize them and bring resources to bear all around the globe. He has initiatives in sub-Saharan Africa, across Latin America, in Asia, especially in his home country of India. He said, oh, there's often so much stigma that you have to battle through to try to get the people to pay attention. But he says over and over that he tries to help people understand just because someone is struggling with a mental health issue does not make them unworthy, does not make them a person we can ignore. But they are people that need our help. Dr. Patel says, I want to bring love and respect to these most vulnerable people in our world. I think he understands as Joseph did that sometimes even though we're in the most difficult of circumstances, God is at work and God is working for good even in those circumstances. And we might even be a part of that if we're looking and open of heart and mind for God to work through us in those experiences. The Joseph story goes on for several more chapters in Genesis until finally Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. After the father has died, these ten brothers get nervous again. You might say they're paranoid. They think maybe now Joseph's going to strike. Oh, he's been nice enough while dad was alive, but what is he going to do now? And Genesis 50 tells us they come back and tell Joseph what they think is going to happen, that he's going to strike out against them. But if you have your Bibles open, flip over there in chapter 50, verse 19. It tells us what Joseph says. After they come to him, weeping and begging basically for forgiveness, Joseph says to them, do not be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people, as He is doing today, so have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And then the writer of Genesis concludes in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Joseph offers kindness, forgiveness, mercy, generosity, love, and respect. It's not quite the same list of the fruits of the Spirit as listed by St. Paul, but it's a pretty good list of characteristics or traits, or we could say behaviors, that if we emulated, would draw us closer to God and closer to God's will. If we decide to model our lives after Joseph's life, I think we would find it leading us to more abundant life here and now. God was working through Joseph. And despite the circumstances of his life, he was able to look above that and beyond that and see this bigger picture of God at work, keeping this covenant of blessing alive for all times. I've put some questions in your outline that come out of this story of Joseph, something maybe for you to contemplate and ponder as you wait your turn for communion. Does God want to work through you to further blessings? Is there a place where you were harmed in which God wants to bring good? Can you see it? Are these characteristics we see in Joseph present in your life? Important questions to consider, to look for how God might be at work in your life and mine so that we can be a people of blessing. In the name of Christ, amen.